Have you ever told your kid to make their bed and then you forget to make yours? We've all been there and telling someone isn't enough. You actually need to model the behavior in order to truly be heard. Hey everyone, it's Karen G. from the Tower Hill Communications team. Welcome to our weekly podcast, where we hope today's message inspires you on your continuing faith journey. This week, we're in part three of our sermon series, I'll See It When I Believe It. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Hey everyone, welcome to Tower Hill Church. I'm Pastor Jason. Good morning. Welcome to worship here online with us this morning. I'm so glad that you joined us. If you're new with us, a very special welcome to you. I pray that you feel as welcome as you are. And any time that you are around or that you're comfortable coming to in-person worship, we'd love to have you here. But I know that we have such a great online community too. So make sure that you engage, chat in the chat box, do what it takes to connect with each other because that's a big part of what it is to worship God together as a church. Well, we are in the last part of our series on after the resurrection. Why did Jesus spend this time after the resurrection staying with his disciples? This series is called, I See It When I Believe It. And it's, of course, kind of poking at that phrase, I'll believe it when I see it. But really, faith is a, is a muscle that we develop that helps us to see through the eyes of faith that we wouldn't normally see. And this is exactly what Jesus was trying to train his disciples to do, and incidentally, what we all must be trained to do in order to follow Jesus too. So this, again, is a season of Easter because Jesus appeared to his disciples for 40 days before he finally ascended into heaven. And why? Well, because he wanted his disciples to believe so they could see. But more than that, as we talked about last week, it wasn't just the faith part. It was the reason for the faith part, which had to do with the mission of God, his disciples to see and know how to engage in the mission. In our way of being the church, in our way of understanding God, in our way of being Christians, sometimes we forget that it's not just about faith in and of itself, it's also about what we're supposed to do with that faith. It's not just about belief but behavior. It's like, you know, he could have told his disciples like he did to go ahead and fish on the other side and they would have been like, well, you know, we believe uh, in Jesus and uh, we believe that he might know what he's talking about, but it's quite different than actually throwing your nets where he tells you to throw them. Sometimes the Christian faith can become nothing but a mental exercise or just simply nodding your head in agreement with the teachings of Jesus and that's different than actually allowing your behavior to follow accordingly. What does it mean to believe something? It means to do it. In fact, I think it really reveals what we believe based on what we do, right? Somebody looks at the actions of our lives and it shows us something of what we believe. And it's so important. I think it's something that gets lost because I think we get in our heads a lot and I think faith becomes just this really cerebral internal exercise 
and it's easy to forget that it's also about behavior. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach them. Hey, there's this new way of following me, so you're going to have to see me, but then don't forget you're going to have to follow me in mission. It's the first thing he calls them to do is now that you see me, now follow me. I'm sending you out into the mission field. To do what? To share the good news with all the world. So if you were into equations, if you're into math, maybe you want to write an equation that looks something like following Jesus equals resurrection plus commission or belief and behavior. You're not really following Jesus if it's nothing but commission. Well, I'm just going to go do good things for God without any belief in the supernatural part of the resurrection, that Jesus died and rose again for our sins, and if we have faith in him, we are forgiven. The belief part matters. You can't follow Jesus without the belief part. Not really. And you can't follow him likewise without the commission part, the behavior part, because that's not really following. That's Jesus saying, come, follow me. Do you believe? Yes. Okay, come, follow me. And you just stay right where you are feet planted in the ground. You absolutely need both. And this is what he was trying to teach his disciples as well during those 40 days. And it was so mission critical that they understood this if they were going to move the gospel forward. We turn to the book of Acts today. And we see, we're going to see actually the time when Jesus finally ascends into heaven. And there's a whole lot here that happens that's the culmination of Jesus' teaching that we're meant to understand for ourselves. As we start out in Acts chapter 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. I, I think this is a great reminder that these letters were written to people. This one to Theophilus, right? Yeah, talking about what was going on, it, and it was written by Luke. So Luke wrote the book of Acts. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And that's why he says, in my former book, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he gives them some instructions, right? He's about to ascend into heaven, and he he tells them during one of his teachings, one of his post-resurrection teachings with him, that you're to stay in Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting with the disciples and the Holy Spirit. Jesus spent a lot of time, both just before and just after his death, explaining this coming relationship with the Holy Spirit. That, that while he, was, he, Jesus, was a counselor and an advocate for them and a teacher for them, there was going to be this new way of experiencing God that they couldn't see right in front of them. When he ascended into heaven, he wasn't just going to leave them hanging. He was going to give them a new counselor, a new advocate, a new teacher in his place. The promised Holy Spirit. That part of God that, that you can't necessarily see, but it's that part of God that, that is the bridge between us and the Heavenly Father who speaks to us and for us and in us and enables us to speak back to the Father. 
the all-important Holy Spirit, the whole, that part of God that equips us in daily ministry, that part of God that, that actually applies salvation to our hearts and lives. And this was something that I, we still don't get our heads around, but certainly the disciples were trying to figure out, well, wait a minute, what are you talking about, this Holy Spirit? Am I going to be able to see him? Am I going to be able to but Jesus is preparing them for the transition. You know, he teaches, you won't see him like you see me now, but I've been preparing you for this transition. I've been getting you ready. I've been having you blindfolded and playing the drums, right? We talked about that analogy. I, I'm building your trust. I'm helping you understand that you're going to have to believe me in order to see me. You're going to have to believe in order to see the Holy Spirit. But I'm preparing you for this. And we see, even in those 40 days, the disciples are getting better at it, right? Remember, they recognize Jesus a little bit quicker, a little bit faster. They all understand it's the Lord, even though they can't, he doesn't quite look like Jesus, but they know where in their hearts through the eyes of faith, not just their physical eyes. We continue, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, that was a live question, right? When you ascend into heaven, is, is now the time that you're going to make all things right? That you're going to make good and all those promises and make Israel great? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. My witnesses. It's like he's saying, listen, it's not just about Israel. You're thinking way too small. We're talking about the whole world. And you will receive this power for one purpose, to be my witnesses. And this, of course, comes from the Greek word that means martyr. It's where we get the word martyr. And the idea for witness is like in a courtroom. Not just witness, I saw that. But witness, like I could testify to that. You're to be my witnesses. And I'm going to give you the promised Holy Spirit is going to give you all the power and all the equipping you need to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is so, so important. Because sometimes we forget the Holy Spirit isn't just sort of God's personal gift to us for our own personal enjoyment. The Holy Spirit is the necessary equipping to get us out the door engaging in God's mission to fulfill God's purposes for the world, not just our own. It's a lot bigger than our world. It's a lot bigger than what's going on in our lives. It's about what God is doing throughout history. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. You can only imagine just what a moment that was, right? We read those words so casually, but it's to see Jesus ascend into heaven. But did you ever ask the question, did you ever wonder, why did Jesus have to ascend? I mean, fair question, right? Why, do you have to, why didn't he just stick around for a while? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been better had Jesus spent more time on earth talking to more people? Don't you think it could have convinced a lot more people to faith if he would have hung around a while as the resurrected Lord? I think it's a fair question and something that is worth diving into because there's this really important piece of theology that's in his 
ascension. The reason why the Apostles' Creed say he ascended into heaven, this is really important stuff. 1 Timothy 2.5 puts it this way, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. It's because he's a mediator that we need him to ascend into heaven. Let's take a step back for a moment. What's a mediator? A mediator acts to reconcile two adverse parties. We think of mediation and I think people think of divorce. You think about somebody who is negotiating between the two, making peace between the two. A mediator. And as Romans puts it, Jesus is our mediator as well. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He is mediating for us. What does that mean? Well, the punishment of sin, of course, is death. We, we have penalties coming to us if not for Jesus, if not for faith. What Jesus does is say, no, I paid for that sin. I paid for that on the cross so we can make peace. Because now instead, instead of your guilt, the Father just sees Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' innocence. It's as if the sin was never there. Actually, better than that, it was there and it was constantly forgiven. Jesus is constantly interceding for us. Jesus, as mediator, is critically important to our salvation. Jesus ascended so that he can mediate for us. Jesus wasn't just disembodied spirit. Jesus was a human being as well. There was a bodily resurrection. Jesus wasn't omnipresent. He would come and go because he had a bodily form. But the Holy Spirit, of course, is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. And so he wanted that gift of the Holy Spirit to go out to all of us at the same time, forever and ever, so that we would have everything we need. In some ways, a better counselor and advocate. Not that Jesus wouldn't have been good, but the fact that now the Holy Spirit can reach everywhere, through all generations, all time and space. And it's because Jesus sits at his Father's right hand that we have any hope of being welcomed into God's presence. In other words, as we sin, Jesus intercedes for us, advocates for us, and reconciles us to God. But why now? Why was 40 days enough? Well, we see and we get the sense as Scripture is going on, as we're leading up to this point, that the disciples had learned how to believe and see. They actually learned how to do that. It was rough at first, but it got better. And this is the same with you in your life, right? It might be rough at first trying to recognize where's Jesus out there in front of me when I can't see him, but you'll get better at it. You'll see the different places in your life where he's showing up. You'll develop that muscle just like the disciples did. And the disciples understood their purpose. They understood, okay, it's not just that we are putting our faith in the resurrected one. That's step one. But there's another step. Jesus told us that we're about to go into the world and carry on this mission. That we're to be witnesses, giving testimony to the wonders of God for the world to see. 
And then third, why now, in order to empower them, the Holy Spirit now had to come. So all of this has happened, and we're kind of teeing up this really amazing moment. So Jesus ascends, and now the disciples are hanging around Jerusalem, and finally the pieces come together, and they come together in dramatic fashion. This is from Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. I love that. You would think that's a throwaway line, but that just shows they were what? They were exactly faithful to what Jesus asked them to do. He said, stay and wait in Jerusalem. Got it. They did. And they're right where they were supposed to be. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? I, I, this is such an incredible moment. And notice, and you've heard me say this before if you've been with us for a while, the very first gift to the church of the Holy Spirit was the gift of translation. Translating what? The wonders of God into the language of the people. Being witnesses to the power of God in the world. The call of the church. You see, it's all coming together. They had to be in the right place. They were in the place God asked them to be. Which comes by what? Through that belief and behavior. They had to believe. They had to see. They had to understand. They had to listen. And then once that happened, the Holy Spirit filled them and gave them everything they needed to accomplish the task in front of them. Now, as these people around Jerusalem are just, you know, their minds blown from what just happened, they ask, what does this mean? Peter gets up and gives kind of like the first New Testament sermon, right, or the first post-Jesus sermon. He said, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. What do he do? He, he explains that already, right away. That's on his head. He said, be witnesses, and I'm saying, I'm declaring now we are all witnesses of it, everybody who's listening. You see what he's doing? He's doing exactly what Jesus instructed him to do. So like the first thing out of his lips, we are all witnesses. We all bear testimony that this is true. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. I love that phrase. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? That's the goal. That's the goal of what God's called us to do is that we will explain, we will show people somehow, some way, our testimony of God. And the Holy Spirit will do the rest. The Holy Spirit will cut it right into their heart and they'll say, what should we do? And so many times, I know because we might be shy or awkward or uncomfortable, we never really follow up with what we should 
next. Peter shows us the way. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? So you can join in this mission of speaking the wonders of God to the world. And what's the result? Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I love this because it all seems to happen really, really fast. I'm sure for the disciples it was not fast. For us, looking back, we're like, wow, in these 40 days, Jesus really covered a lot. But my goodness, could you just imagine how long it felt? To What are we supposed to do with our lives now? I mean, we've seen the resurrected Jesus a few times, and he keeps encouraging us to go out and to do, and we don't, we don't know what to do. And he says, just sit and wait, and we're just kind of sitting and waiting. And I know that there are some times in your life where you feel like, I'm waiting for God to show up. I'm, I'm waiting to know what's next and what I should do. And it feels like you're waiting forever, but hold on. Because God makes sure that the timing is exactly right. Just be patient. Rejoice in the waiting. Say, all right. God hasn't shown up in the way that I'm expecting yet, but I know that he will. God's not leading me or showing me just yet, but I know that he will. I'm going to enjoy this time where I could just kind of wait. And then when he shows up, i got to be ready to step. i got to be ready to let my behavior follow my belief. i got to be in the right place, right where Jesus called me to be, so that I can declare the wonders of God into the language of the people. Again, it's not just about belief, but behavior. And so I think, brothers and sisters, we should be asking the same question, what shall we do? This is where the rubber really meets the road in our faith, in our faith here in 21st century American Christianity, American church, is that we had so separated belief from behavior. And part of it's because we don't want to be legalistic about it, which is really good. We don't. We don't want to be legalistic about behavior. We don't need behavior police. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the way that we live our lives should reflect what we say we believe about our risen Lord. We should be reminded that we see through the eyes of faith. Not everybody's able to do that. Not everybody has that belief just yet. But don't forget, our job is not simply to come to church every week so that we can be fed. That's not where it stops. This is an end there. Otherwise, we'd all be just a bunch of overfed Christians. You need to what after you eat? You need to move your body. You need to exercise. It's the same thing with your faith. You get fed so that you can go and you can feed others. What was Jesus' call to Peter? Feed my sheep. Just as he's feeding him that breakfast on the beach that we talked about last week. Then go feed my sheep. You're being fed so that you could feed others. You have been saved so that you can lead others to salvation. You have been created and called for a purpose. Not just something that you can believe, not a bunch of propositions that you put your trust in, but a way of life that shows the world who Jesus is. So where do you get started? I know. It it could be overwhelming just to start thinking about it. But I always say this, start with asking God. 
I mean, listen, you want answers? That's the one to go to. Not me, not anybody else. Go to God. Say, God, show me. How do you want me to be a witness to you today? And just start with today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next year. Don't worry about the big picture just yet. Worry about today. How can I be a witness to you? And you know what you're going to discover? The more that you do that, the more that Holy Spirit shows up and guides you exactly where you're supposed to go through, through a seemingly you know, harmless interaction at the grocery store, <laughs> right? Something is set in motion. Somebody comes across your path who's supposed to say something to you or you say something to them. You'll find that all these coincidences start stacking up in your life. And all of a sudden you kind of discern a direction. And that's how you go. And they say, well, that seems to be God over there, right? That is the Lord. I've seen that before. Let me go in that direction. So maybe I follow up from that quick conversation at the supermarket. Maybe I invest a little bit in a phone call or an email or a follow-up to that person. Or maybe it leads me to think, you know what I should do is I should go through my list and I should, I should pick three names and just reach out to them and see what the Lord does. And then what do they do when, they, when that issue comes up or they want to talk about something in their lives? How can I bring Jesus to them? Not in a way that's pushy, because trust me, if they see you and they see your joy in the Lord, they're going to ask you. They're going to ask, what do I do? And when that happens, it means what? They're being cut to the heart. And you say, put your faith in Jesus. Repent and be baptized. You might not lead with the word repent. <laughs> it's got a lot of baggage, right? But you can say it without saying that word. Like, you know what? I believe that there's an answer to sin and darkness. I believe that there is a way of life. There is a salvation that changes everything. It changes how I live. It changes my, my ethical and moral and spiritual being. It, it, sends me, it sets my feet on a new path, a better path, and it can set yours on that path too. This is what we've been called to do. I do know one thing. We'll all see it when we believe it. Amen.